All right, all right. Well, it's good to see you guys. Thank you all so much for those of you who have uh, rearranged your schedules, taken some time off, uh, uh, use this as a um, uh, as a little bit of a day to rest and a little bit of a day to uh, to learn. We are grateful for each one of you. Uh, for the students who took this as a sick day, uh, well, you know, wonderful. Uh, <laughs> We are, we are just really grateful for y'all, and uh, obviously we couldn't do the things that we do uh, without you, and uh, we're, we're just very grateful for your encouragement uh, and grateful for your presence here. Uh, many of you were here this morning uh, when we talked about uh, uh, texting and, and, and sending text messages uh, to us, uh, questions to us that we can ask now. So now is the time. We, uh, we, we, we went through our, our expert uh, sifters uh, went through all of this, and uh, we've got I, right here the card of the questions that we're going to be asking. Uh, if we have time afterwards, uh, we'll open it up for any further questions as well. I think uh, uh, Keith, where's Keith? Uh, there you are. Uh, if we have any time, uh, Keith's going to uh, walk around and we'll have some questions. Hopefully we'll have some time at the end for that. Before we get started, though, uh, some of y'all are here and you've already met Dr. Kellum. You've already met uh, Dr. Pastor uh, Tony here as well. Um, uh, you may not know who they are, though. Uh, outside of today. So, uh, and, and of course, for the rest of us that are here too, uh, you may have never seen us before in your lives either. So uh, we want to take some time, just a couple of seconds to introduce ourselves, just say who we are, uh, uh, what we do for a living, um, why, why we're here as well, and, uh, and then we'll get into the, the questions. My so, name is Jim Shaddix, and I have the privilege of serving on the faculty here at Southeastern and teach preaching. All right, my name is Scott Kellum. I'm a professor of New Testament and Greek here at Southeastern. Scott Pace, and I teach uh, preaching and pastoral ministry and direct the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership. Tony Marito, wannabe hip-hop artist, but actually a pastor. <laughs> Did I hear R&D? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say. That, that automatically became a new question on this card here. <laughs> Can Tony Marita break break down Tupac for us? Um, uh, my name is Ron Jorlock, and I teach uh, preaching uh, and uh, some biblical studies on the undergrad as well. And I'm assistant director for the uh, Center for uh, Preaching and, and uh, Pastoral Leadership uh, also. So uh, that tells you a little bit about us, and uh, uh, there's much more that we can talk about, but we want to get into these questions here. Uh, for all of the gentlemen here, would you suggest preaching through Acts to a young pastor beginning his preaching ministry. And if you don't recommend that, what books would you suggest for a beginning expositor? Anybody can jump in. Great question. I brought coffee because I plan on listening a lot to Scott Kellum. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of different opinions uh, about that. Sometimes the longer books are exhausting for the churches to go through. And so you, you find them losing attention toward the end of it and, and that sort of thing, and all that would play into, a, into effect. I would say, um, I'd say you better get on your knees and grab the horns of the altar and find out what God wants you to preach. Mm -hmm. And that always be your pattern uh, to check, you make sure that you're preaching what God wants you to preach in terms of, uh, of your books and, and um, even series or any, anything like that that you do. I would start there. 
I'll weigh in and, and just agree with what Scott said in terms of the length of a series would be very difficult for a young young pastor to maybe navigate through as he's leading a church in the early days. Um, I would also say with the book of Acts, some of the challenges that, that we heard today as it relates to the prescriptive, descriptive, and navigating a narrative uh, can be a challenge for a young preacher. That's assuming that the young pastor is also a young preacher. In other words, if, you, if you're going to a new church, but you've been pe- preaching for 20 years, then, then that might be different. But assuming that it's a young pastor, a uh, newer pastor with who's less experience in the pulpit, that would be some challenge. The benefit, though, of preaching the book of Acts would be the nature of the church itself, casting a vision for recalibrating who you are as a church, and Acts could help shape some of that. So I think that would be some benefit through a series in the book of Acts for a young pastor kind of uh, new to a church. Yeah, agreeing with all this stuff, though, I think I would come down on the with an emphatic yes um, for a lot of reasons. One, the missional emphasis, what greater way to really set the tone and atmosphere, you know, for a church and for your ministry uh, than just the advancement of the gospel and prayer, you know, the work of the Holy Spirit, things that have already been mentioned today. Um, and, and everybody in the book of Acts from a church leadership standpoint was a new pastor. You know, they were, they were new. So there's great identification. The apostles were new at it, you know, as far as leading the church and every pastor that was elder that was raised up. So there's, there's, you know, in in all seriousness, just great identification. Certainly agree with, uh, you know, using wisdom in maybe dividing the series up, uh, preach part of it, take a break, um, come back to it. Uh, A lot of wisdom in that. Right, all right. Well, uh, if you're going to preach a book like Acts, there are some long passages in there. Uh, for instance, Acts 20, uh, you've got the narrative at the beginning, and then Paul is giving his, his farewell address to the elders there in Ephesus. Uh, for a preacher, uh, both you know, new, new at the game and the old season uh, expositor, uh, how do you divide these sections up, or do you divide these sections? Do you preach just go the whole uh, text, or do you divide it up into little mini sections? What, what, what do you guys do? I love the long narratives personally. Not every preacher does. Um, a lot of preachers that do exposition probably prefer epistles. Um, but I think the only way you can get good at preaching long narratives is to preach them. And so what my suggestion would just be do it. Just jump in there. Uh, we did one and two kings in about 20 weeks. Um, we looked at every passage in one and two kings. And uh, there, you can do it. Um, it's, uh, it. It can be challenging at times to do uh, longer narratives. So I think what you have to adapt is, is your outlining and your style. And you got to learn how to do uh, what we call a homily or something like that, which is kind of these, these running comments and applications as you're moving along the narrative. Um, so you can't linger long on everything. Um, a lot of this is really going to be also just your own gifting and ability. Um, you have to also be comfortable with the idea that you don't have to turn over every stone in the text to be considered an expositor. Uh, what you have to turn over is the main idea, uh, the big idea in a text. And the reality is we're always going to leave something there that we could explore further. Um, so in the long narrative, don't feel like you've got to spend an equal amount of time on every, every, every single part. What we have to expound on is, is the big idea. So again, I think you learn along the way some, some ways to do that effectively, but th- that would be my first reaction. Yeah, I would agree. I'd, I'd also, one of the things that I often do is encourage 
um, pastors to preach more than 7 to 15 verses at a time. And we, so when we consistently are cutting up the Scriptures into that mm -hmm. kind of chunks, we're not seeing the big picture. Right. I remember I was, I was going through the Gospel of John and showing the students the book's flow. And I had a student raise his hand and said, I've never heard that before. And I thought that was, that was tragic. Mm -hmm. That was tragic. So when you're, when you're preaching more than just a 7 to 15 verses um, in that you're seeing the bigger picture and that. So, so Tony mentioned this morning uh, in a very fine sermon, by the way. Oh, thank you, Scott. Um, <laughs> the... Um, he mentioned this morning that the woman at the well follows Nicodemus. Well, that whole cycle that was called the Cana cycle, mm -hmm. that whole cycle is about what is saving faith. Mm -hmm. And Nicodemus is the example of what is not saving faith. He's never said that he's gotten saved, although Baptist preachers have baptized him for generations. <laughs> he's the example of the guy who believes but doesn't really believe. Yeah. The example of the person who believes is this scandalous woman at the well. And when we're putting that together, and then there's the Basilikos that follows after that as a mm -hmm. Gentile. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's there's something to be said for preaching the whole cycle. Mm -hmm. and, but you have to paint with big pictures. Are your, are your Paul putting people to sleep at the third story window? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so the broad brushstrokes, and there's room for that. Yeah, yeah. just a thought to that, and what Doc's saying is great. And I find in the Old Testament especially, Christ-centered preaching isn't so much where is Jesus in Joshua 2, verse 1? But what theme is, is in, what, what is Joshua doing in chapter 2? How does it fit in the, the block of Joshua, right? There's a theme. There's something going on in, in various contexts in the Old Testament. And, and real Christ-centered preaching, I think, is pulling the thread of whatever theme is there. We're not digging up something that's not there. We're saying, what, what's going on? And you have to look at the bigger unit. So to me, the units of thought give you better places to preach Christ and put it in the whole council instead of trying to do where's Waldo with, with Jesus, you know, in the Old Testament. Uh, but it's rather, what, what, what theme is here? I would just add from a practical standpoint, in addition to, to the points that you guys have made, it's just as you're covering a, a broader narrative or a longer narrative, you may not read the whole thing at once. And what you saw this morning, Tony did, like, hey, he read kind of as a precursor of the front end of a sermon, the first half and then walk through the second half of the passage. That's an example of ways you can do that. Sometimes uh, you, can, you can read the first couple of verses in that passage, summarized by kind of your own homily or kind of narrative conversation, what the next few verses say, and then hit the highlights as you go, reading individual verses and summarizing in between. Because from the practical standpoint, covering a lot of text in a short amount of time can be difficult, and, and, and that can eat up a lot of your time. Not that you're wanting to kind of clip out or cut out God's word clearly, um, but in terms of just helping to navigate the time scenario, uh, that's some, some practical thoughts that you might consider is how to read through and, and do that along the way. Yeah. And this is, you know, this is not primarily a homiletical issue of, oh, we need to learn to do this or we can do this. It's a hermeneutical issue. You know, truth is revealed differently through different genres. And this is where expositors, I think, have gotten... In, in trouble trying to preach the narratives the same way we do Paul's epistles. Truth is revealed differently in the epistles than it is in narrative. In narrative, it's the whole story. And so there, 
you know, not to say you couldn't break it up and, you know, part one or this to be continued next week kind of deal, but you gotta, you got to preach the right interpretation of the text and the right interpretation of the text is going to be what is revealed in this narrative, in the story. And that, that implies larger passages. All right. All right. What are some commentaries that you think are the best ones for uh, both for studying and for preaching the Book of Acts? Christ, Christ-centered exposition. <laughs> you find that in your bag. It's a great one, man. It's so good. The author's the author's pretty good, but the the commentary. And I believe unlike the royalties are amazing. They're amazing. <laughs> And I believe, unlike Dr. Kellum's book, I believe that book is available. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 1995. My, my, I, gave my list, I gave my list of commentaries already in that yeah. talk, so I, don't, I probably wouldn't add to that list. So you got mine. Anybody else want to? I think that question probably came in before the bibliography was kind of revealed at the end. And, but that bibliography is really thorough, and I think hits definitely the, um, the primary sources for, for preaching through Acts. I'll let go though what you what you said a few minutes ago in, in your um, in your talk that uh, Stott's commentary is just absolute gold. Um, that is a fantastic little commentary. It's a it's it's more of a preacher's commentary. Uh, it's in the Bible Speaks Today uh, series, um, and I, I don't know if that was uh, his, his sermons, um, if that was a collection of his sermons uh, uh, over at uh, All Souls, but uh, it's a it's just a, a great. Uh, commentary, uh, just a little preacher's commentary on Acts. Uh, highly recommend. Yeah, all his commentaries are. As somebody yeah. said one time, Paul himself would be impressed with how organized Galatians was after <laughs> after he reads John Stott's commentary of Galatians. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, the two gentlemen uh, here, Dr. Kellum and uh, Dr. Marita, had spoken about prayer and the importance of prayer. Of course, you walk through uh, many of the examples uh, of prayer in the book of Acts. Um, What does an Acts-like praying church look like today? Hmm. Like if if we were to say, you know what, the early church was a praying church, what what does that look like uh, today? Great question. I would start with Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 is one of my favorite chapters in the entirety of the book. After Acts chapter 3, they have been persecuted. They come back to the church and they uh, report back to the church. And um, I just think about Baptist churches today in our prayer meetings. You know, it's, so many times it's more like gossip sessions. Pastor, Sister Lulu's in sin and I've got the dirt. We need to pray for her uh, sort of thing. We need to just move away from that, that sort of thing. But uh, that group had a and this is something I bring up in Philippians a great deal, a Christ-centered, gospel-focused life. And I'm wondering what Baptist churches would do today, most of our churches would do today, after suffering some real persecution like that, would we not be praying continually for cessation of persecution? And they didn't. They prayed for God's Word to be magnified and that we would glorify Your Son. And that, that is that, that Christ-centered, gospel-focused orientation of life is manifested in, in those prayers. And um, the building was shook, shaken from the presence of God. 
and that's the kind of prayer meeting I, I really want to be. But it's the kind of prayer meeting I need to have when I'm by myself, too. Yeah, I, w- I would uh, echo that, but also um, add, when you look at some of the things Tony walked through in terms of examples walking through, and look at this, they were praying here, they were praying here, they were praying here. Um, and you translate that to understanding man in all circumstances so sometimes they were in despair over peter's imprisonment and man they really needed hope and they were prayerful in hope uh or sometimes they were uh, prayerful in the midst of persecution and they were just saying god however your word be magnified or or, or glorified in that sometimes it was over decisions as they were going to move forward and where they should go missionally where the next place was to go and so prayer saturated everything they did I think that certainly would be some of what it would look like. But I think if you kind of put it in those, or frame it in those terms, in terms of when we pray in times of hope, when we pray over big decisions, when we pray in, in, in times of despair, or that God may be glorified, or seeking God's will, all of those types of parallel lifestyle applications, personally and corporately, I think would translate into what a praying church looks like. I would take another cue from Acts chapter 6 and answer the question in that I think a a praying church today would be a church that programs around the preservation of prayer as a priority. You know, the in Acts 6, they change their infrastructure, they change their leadership structure, they change their processes, all for at least the stated purpose of making sure that somebody's continuing to pray and preach the word and, you know, in the ministry of the word. And a lot of times today, I think we see uh, prayer as the thing that fuels our programs and we need to pray about our programs. They programmed, it seems, in order to protect uh, the priority of prayer because they understood that it's, you know, just it's utter indispensability, you know, that they had to do it. So, you know, I think a praying church today would be one that's not trying to fit, okay, how do we pray together and have a prayer meeting? How do we do what we do in order to make sure we're praying? You know, so. that's good. If, if I could add to this, I, know, I don't know if moderators is supposed to answer questions. Go ahead, man. you got to answer. I'll, I'll, I'll jump in. What is up with the microphone? <laughs> <laughs> I'm jealous. I'm so jealous. Proceed, man. Proceed. I know I'm not getting honorarium today, so I'm going home with a pocket. But I wonder if, uh, in our culture, you know, we're we're uh, we're Westerners. You know, we we love efficiency. You know, and we think that we can solve anything with just some hard work and efficiency, and and that breeds a culture of um, of experts. You know, that if we're going to get something done, we just need the right technique. If we, we want to get something done, we just need, you know, the right group of experts to, you know, to help get it done. And I think over and over again in the book of Acts, you see the emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Uh, Holy, the Holy Spirit and prayer go hand in hand. All right. We have to recognize that we cannot do and we cannot be the things that God requires us to do and to be as the church without the Holy Spirit. Uh, it, is, it is the Holy Spirit or, or nothing. We, we, we cannot accomplish the work of God any other way. And that, it seems in the book of Acts, drove the believers to prayer. Uh, they had to pray. Hmm. You know, they prayed because they had to. Because they couldn't accomplish anything without it. and I, uh, Without the Holy Spirit. And I think that 
for us as believers, if we can get back to that core conviction uh, that we cannot function as believers, we cannot fulfill the mission of Christ apart from the work and the moving of the Holy Spirit, that will drive us to pray at every little um, uh, move, at every turn of the corner, as it did the people in the book of Acts. If I may add one more word to this, um, I'm really, I'm really learning this right now at our church. Um, <clears throat> But how praying for your people specifically will make you a better preacher also. Like we're, we're not doing this so you'll be a better preacher, but it just will. It will make you a better preacher. So we have, we have 50 small groups in our church, and we have about 12 pastors. Um, and each pastor has a certain number of small groups under them. And uh, every other month, uh, each pastor comes together, and we, we write down on a whiteboard specific individuals who have prayer, particular prayer needs. And we pray for every name on that whiteboard. Uh, and it's about a three-hour prayer. We do that on Saturday morning uh, prayer time. The first time we started doing that, it was amazing how a couple things happened. Number one, I learned people's names. Like You learn people's names when you pray for them. Uh, and number two, I was more aware of what was going on in the church um, and able to then think through application, as we mentioned earlier, and, and think through particular... Uh, ways in which this word would land on someone. So um, you love people better when you're praying for them. You know people better when you're praying for them. You preach better to people when you're praying for them. And the same is true in the believer's life in your church. Uh, it gives you a sympathy. And, and so we need to teach uh, so much about prayer and emphasize so much, but I just want to put that word as to kind of what's happening in, in my heart is this, this is really being intensified. Uh, it's making me, by God's grace, I think a better pastor. And um, I think it's, it's, uh, it's also um, breeds a lot of trust from the congregation and a lot of love and warmth. So anyway, I, I love the question. We, 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 Dr. Shaddix has said many times before, they prayed and they preached the word, Acts 6-4, and um, these two go together, man. Uh, they just, John Stott, I mentioned him earlier, I have a friend who knew John Stott. He told me that John Stott did a couple of things that really challenged me. One is he wrote his sermons on his knees that is, he had a, had a little kneeling bench, and he wrote with a pencil and wrote his sermons out. Uh, and then he prayed for a list of roughly a 1,000 people. Um, that his, his prayer life, his interior life, was just, was just something that's exemplary for us. So um, let, that, let that encourage you and inspire you and challenge you. Um, man, we got to do it. Amen. All right, one more question, and then I think we've got a little bit of time to uh, open it up to, uh, uh, to you guys. Uh, in Luke Acts, uh, the, the gentleman who uh, taught this uh, uh, today, they both mentioned the idea of normative and versus descriptive. What's normative, what's descriptive. And so y'all couldn't have uh, gotten out of this room without me asking this question here. Uh, in Luke Acts, is the special filling of the Spirit before proclamation normative or is it descriptive? I think that's really dealing with the role of the Holy Spirit and some of the working of the Holy Spirit. Is, uh, is, is, uh, how do we distinguish between what is normative and what is descriptive uh, in, in those different episodes? <laughs> uh, you going to go first? Can I touch Ron Jewer's prayer cloth first? <laughs> a special thank you. Acts 19. For, for 1995, I'll make them available. Yeah, last on you, I'd have paid $30. <laughs> <laughs> me. 
I think it should be normative that the preacher is filled with the Holy Spirit before he preaches. Uh, I think it's very descriptive of us that oftentimes that's the last thing we've been thinking about as we crawl into the pulpit. And sometimes, so I'm not, a, I'm not currently, I'm an interim pastor now. I was a pastor for, for uh, over a decade before I came back to do my uh, PhD. You know, there are times where people like, ambush you right before you get to the pulpit, you know, hey, Pastor, I got this problem, right? you know, right as I'm stepping on the step, right, and it's like, you just want to like do the Jesus with Peter, get behind me, Satan, and, and that sort of thing. I think that it is, um, it, it, the work of the Holy Spirit in anointing and in, in, in preaching is uh, something that that is uh, we should be filled with the spirit as we preach but it, it is it is we, we can't turn that into something that's introspective and about me and sometimes we, we do that I think the spirit's filling actually works at times where you have no idea that's going on and so when I when I'm preaching, I'm looking at I'm looking at the guy over here who's told me that his daughter's pregnant and he doesn't know what to do. This guy over here has told me that his wife is using drugs but doesn't want me to talk to her about it because he's trying to deal with that. This lady over here is suspecting her, her husband's having an affair. This person's parents is dying. This person is dealing with a with the diagnosis that nobody ever wants to get. And, and I, I walk up there with those burdens mm -hmm. and I'm seeing that. And I think the filling of the Spirit is going to address mm -hmm. those things. Sometimes even in, in, without me even in, intending to do that. Mm -hmm. And so there's a working of the Spirit through you when, when you are, are preaching. What I would recommend is that we not be so self-introspective about that, but be surrendered to Christ as we are, uh, as we are preaching. And then let him take care of, of the rest of that. I would uh, add on that to that, and as you think through the kind of the normative, descriptive thing, recognize that when you're reading when you're reading Acts, you're reading an editorial of what happened. In other words, um, we don't know that Paul or Peter knew that they were filled with the Spirit. We're reading the commentary that the Spirit empowered them. Does that makes sense. In other words. The Spirit empowered Paul and he preached this. The Spirit empowered Peter. So it wasn't something necessarily that they sought or that they somehow facilitated. It was a, a, a recognition by observation that Luke recorded and said, man, the Spirit empowered what he did at that moment. So in other words, it can't necessarily be something that you facilitate. And at the same time, it should be something that we utterly depend on. And that we trust that God's going to do as we humble ourselves before him as a vessel of honor that's set apart and useful in the hands of the master. If we, we look at ourselves and, and recognize, too, that the Holy Spirit is not only anointing us or, or, or kind of empowering um, uh, the, the moment of proclamation, but right that he's empowered our interpretation of the passage because he empowered the inspiration of the writing of the passage then he empowers the, the, the crafting and development of the sermon. 
And then is also at work in the listeners of the sermon just as much as in the preacher of the sermon. So the Holy Spirit is really immersed into every element and aspect of preaching. A lot of times we isolate it as though the Holy Spirit is only at work in the preacher. And when in reality, the evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in the life of the preacher will be in the impact in the lives of the hearers. And it's through the, the, the word that's been inspired by the Spirit. And that should be something that's more observed than facilitated. And I think that's how we read it. So when we read it, is it prescriptive or is it um, normative or descriptive? Um, I, I, I think it's more descriptive, and yet at the same time, it's saying that it should be normative. Yeah. You know? I a related comment, but not exactly to it. If you're going to talk exactly to you, go. go. Well, just to, to follow up with that, I, I totally agree. It's Holy Spirit from beginning to end. I don't think the anointing or even the filling begins just when we get up to preach but um, you know ff bruce a great new testament greek scholar identified eight times in the luke acts narrative where the filling of the spirit is in a construction in the greek uh, when it's related to the public proclamation moment that there is an attendant that is different by the way than the descriptive adjective adjectival form of let's say Stephen who was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit and he draws a distinction there between that character quality and that lifestyle and the preaching the proclamation moment in which the spirit does something unique personally I do is it normative in the sense is it does it happen all the time no uh, it, is it normative in the sense that it's something as these brothers have said we should do everything we can to align ourselves with so that in that moment there is a mystery of an otherworldly attendance there and I, I do see that in scripture and I don't see anything in the rest of the New Testament after Acts that would say would indicate in any way that now these are separated out you know so. yep. just one one related thought to the Holy Spirit in the church I, I just um, as much as we talk about it in the role of preaching as important as it is I, I said in our lecture I also want to be careful as we teach to not uh, give people the idea that this is the only place where the Spirit is at work in the life of the church. Um, you've heard this, this cliche before that, uh, you know, 99% of the church could run today uh, and nobody would, if the Holy Spirit wasn't there. And I don't think, I don't think that's true because I think what happens is we've sensationalized the Holy Spirit to where He is only at work in these big events. But when you read the New Testament, you read spiritual gifts like administration. So much of the day-to-day -day operation of your church is actually spirit-empowered. You just don't know it. You don't recognize it. Because the Spirit of God is preserving His church. Uh, it is Jesus' church, and He's left the Holy Spirit to do the work of convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and to carry out the functions of the church and the work of the church. So He is at work, though we, we have a tendency to only look for the big displays of His Spirit's work and not recognize that he is in the work of, of the ordinary and the mundane and seemingly trivial aspects of, of church life. When you're caring for a widow, man, this is a spirit-empowered activity, right? When you're, when you're doing the, the basics. So we need to encourage our, our people who don't preach on a platform that what they're doing is significant and what they're doing requires the work of the spirit. Uh, and if you don't think that's the case in children's work, then, you know, you need patience. You need the fruit of the Spirit to do some of this work. So all the work that we're doing, we, we, we need His help.
All right, we may have time for one <coughs> question from the audience. Don't everybody... Uh, You're saying we talk too much. Yeah, you? no, 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 it's fine. Um, is there anyone that would have... Oh, we got one right up, right up here. Uh, question here. In learning today to interpret and write through the book of Acts, I was going to ask you guys a practical question. What has changed in your ministry from the beginning to now on how you do sermon prep? I do mine early, earlier in the week than I, I did at the beginning. Uh, I love what I call stress-free sermon prep. I do, I do it first, and it's, it's the first thing I do during the course of the week in the life of the church. That gives me freedom then to respond to needs, to not be stressed out about it, so I have to do a little bit of advanced planning to make that work, but that's been really, really enjoyable to do it that way. I would also say that uh, in, in kind of in, in parallel to, to planning, um, planning the preaching out to where I don't see an individual sermon as individual, but seeing how they connect with other Sundays and planning a Sunday in light of the rest of them um, has been extremely helpful, and that's been something I've grown into, whereas previously it was more... I mean, each individual week is a standalone sermon that's somewhat loosely connected to the next week, even if it was a series through a book or something. But now trying to do some front-end prep work that sees how they fit together before you ever preach the first one and then preaching them in light of the whole has been something that's developed more as I've come along. I guess, uh, I guess the biggest thing, one, the more you do it, the better you get at it, or at least not as awful. Right, and so, um, so those early sermons are not available <laughs> at all. In the uh, book, in the book. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, ever, you know. The archaeologists won't find them. That's what the hope is. The, um, one of the things that I do now that I didn't really, only started in the last four or five years really thinking overtly about, is from the position of the the hearer that you know is is this going to be able to be followed you know I'm not just checking off what I'm supposed to do but how how am I going to uh, preach and how's it going to be received how, you know and so one of one of the things that I always do because I have a have a graphic arts background I always have a PowerPoint that I'm working with and that helps me even if I don't use it that helps me see what they would be seeing and how I'm, I'm communicating. So I'm trying to think of the, the hearer. You know, I, just picking out one thing, so many things, you know, some of which have been mentioned in other contexts up here. Uh, I think I look and think more about how a passage fits into the larger story than I did, you know, when I first started preaching. I'm embarrassed, you know, to say that. And uh, but I guess very practical thing is I'm, I'm a bivocational preacher now. You know, when I was a vocational preacher as a pastor, I had... Uh, especially in full-time context, I, you know, I had more control over my schedule, so I could block out, you know, the f every morning all, all week long, you know, uh, up till noon, and that's what I did. And I, but I, I've gained a great appreciation for bivocational pastors. Uh, who have become my heroes just simply because I came to the place where I could no longer justify that this idea of full-time vocational ministry is really a New Testament concept. Um, and the fact that 
most of the pastors across the planet are bivocational pastors. And that doesn't mean it's wrong to put food on your table by your ministry and be full-time. I just don't think God owes it to us. And that has really come home to me, you know, as a seminary professor, not a pastor who is earning a full-time salary for being a pastor and doesn't have as much control. It has caused me to think more about discipline with regard to when I am going to study, when I am able to study uh, and put that time in, which is much harder when you're bivocational, I think it is, than when you are, are vocational. Um, and, and really also, I think, um, to realize that God's grace is sufficient. That doesn't mean, I, I, I trust it doesn't mean I've gotten lazy in the, the academic part, the exegetical part. But I, I think looking back on the early parts of my ministry, you know, I probably made some of those dumb statements like, unless you're spending 30 hours a week preparing to preach on Sunday, then you're, you're not spiritual. Uh, or you're not, you can't do exposition, you know, uh, and realize, and I think some of it goes back to the more you do it, the more buildup you have of, of things you get to bring to the table. So all that to say, maybe not in proportion as much time in, you know, consulting all of the tools that are out there as opposed to being intentional about certain resources. You know? Uh, one thing that I've, I've learned uh, in the beginning days of, of preaching for me, um, I love exegesis. I love the details in the text, and, and it definitely would come out in my preaching. But I noticed when I would get to application, I'd be very broad, very abstract, very generic. You know, uh, we need to love Jesus more. That kind of stuff. You know, that, you know, people come out and they say, that's, that's great, but what on earth am I supposed to do with this? So one thing that I've, I've challenged myself uh, in, in recent years, both when I was pastoring and, and, and now, uh, is to spend much more time meditating on application. Uh, I, I, I spend much more time thinking, what does this look like on the ground? What does this look like in real time, 2019, right here where we are? And actually, I, I, I use something similar to uh, what you do, Tony, with the, um, with the, with the, the application grid. Uh, that's a very helpful resource uh, for, for just thinking through specifically how does the word address you know, this person or in this context with these relationships and things like that. The more, I, I've just learned that the more specific I can be in application, the more I'm helping uh, my, my people uh, get ideas and, and a vision, if you will, for, for what the word looks like in their lives. Uh, so yeah, I, I spend much more time meditating on application than I did in, in, in the early days. Uh, all right. That's all. Yeah, that's going to be it for our questions. Hey, would you do me a favor and just express your appreciation to these guys on the panel? Let me ask you, also ask you to express your appreciation. Can I, can I get my pocket square back? Yeah, you have to take, I don't know, 1995, I don't know, whatever. Um, let me express our appreciation to uh, events like this. You guys know the, the work it requires behind the scenes. And I want to recognize uh, the administrative assistant for the Pastor Center, Keith Myatt, and the administrative assistant for the Hunt Scholars Program, Forrest Moss. Forrest, if you would stand up. Keith's back there. Forrest is right there. You guys just appreciate them for all their work.
of, of course, sound and AV guys. I mean, all the all the details that go into this, we appreciate uh, them. Want to make you aware of a couple of upcoming dates as it relates to some of what we're, we've done, not only today but what we're doing this year with the um, uh, the Pastor Center. Um, one in October. If you want to mark some of these dates down, you can. October seventeenth through the nineteenth this year. If you're particularly interested in preaching. Uh, maybe you've heard of the Evangelical Homiletical Society, EHS. Uh, it's kind of a, a band of preachers, a tribe, if you will. It's a special tribe, uh, not in that we're unique, but in terms of, man, we wrestle with some of these practical nuances of preaching and sermon construction and all that kind of stuff. We're actually hosting the annual meeting on our campus October 17th through 19th this fall. We want to invite you to be a part of that. You can be on the lookout for upcoming information, and we'll, we'll create some links on the website uh, for that as well. Also want to call your attention to uh, Thursday, November 7th. Um, we are partnering with Lifeway Pastors, Mark Dance and, and Lifeway Pastors in partnership with them. We're going to be offering what they call a, a pastor's date night. Um, where they're going to provide child care and also we're going to have a really a, a whole program including a meal and, and everything else and in partnership with them we're looking to just encourage and equip pastors give you a night um, to come out with your family your bride and it's going to be a special program dedicated to and, and addressing uh, different elements and aspects of, of pastors and their families just be an encouragement to you we want to offer that to you and um, there's there'll be more information to come about that but that's november 7th this year uh, two more brief informational uh, pieces if you don't mark anything else down mark down on your calendar next year april the second it's thursday april 2nd uh, we're going to actually have the third uh, in the series of the annual workshop of the Christ-Centered Exposition series. Right now, kind of uh, preliminary agreed with Robbie Gallaty, who's going to be here. Uh, many of you are familiar with his ministry and a lot of the books he's published and various things. He was one of the authors in uh, the Minor Prophets uh, different uh, volumes of the Christ-Centered Exposition series, and so he's going to be here, and we're going to be doing that uh, similar format to what we did today. Next year, April 2nd, I want to go ahead and mark that down, plan to be a part of that, and go ahead and begin to uh, invite other people that you know, pastors and Bible teachers, things that may, people that may benefit uh, from what we did today. Also, just want to remind you too, and ask you really to request, if you have uh, feedback, positive, uh, negative, good, bad, indifferent, but just kind of a word that as we kind of reflect on today and how it went, if you want to write down an email address, it's Pastor Center. You know, pastors, plural, okay, no apostrophe though, pastor center at sebts.edu. Please, please uh, offer us and share with us your thoughts on today, how it went, where we could improve, how we can uh, better offer some things, not only through this conference, but maybe other things we can offer in the future that would help you or benefit your ministry. We're open to that. Would love your feedback. Pastor center at southeastern sebts.edu. Uh, we greatly appreciate that. Thank you all so much for coming out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll turn it over. You know what? Um, thank you for coming out today as we get ready to conclude. And Dr. Shaddix is going to offer a benediction of prayer uh, for us. He's also going to share one more announcement with us uh, coming up. Yeah, just of annual events, Adam's lectures on preaching every February, usually the second week. I don't have the dates. In, we had the Bidi Anyabwale year before last, Brian Chapel this last year, this coming February. So excited. Uh, Dr. Robert Smith, uh, great brother, great preacher, will be here from Beeson divinity school so look for that on the calendar as well let's pray together god we bless you and we want to tell you that we love you and we 
want to say thank you for pursuing us through the gospel of Christ, uh, adopting us into your family. Lord, we rejoice in this great salvation you've given us. And Lord, I know I speak for these brothers and sisters in this room. We would echo what Paul said when he said, I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, who's enabled me, counting me faithful, putting me into the ministry. God, we are blown away that you've trusted us with the stewardship of the gospel to preach it, to teach it. We want to do that well. And so I pray for grace for myself, for all the brothers and sisters in this room. God, help us with that. Fill us with your spirit. Empower us. Give us a love, a greater love for Christ, a greater love for your word. And God, we pray that you would use our ministries uh, to champion the gospel, advance it, and to grow your children into the image of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.